Before we get started with today's show, I want to tell you guys about betonline.ag. Football season is already halfway through, and basketball season is now in full swing, and BetOnline remains your number one spot for all the action this season. Head to the new updated desktop or mobile website to sign up today and receive your 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. Use the promo code Believe 50, B L E A V 50, to receive your bonus. Bet online is the fastest and easiest way to bet all your favorite sports. Bet online, where the game starts. Good afternoon or good night, however and whenever it is you may be listening, thank you for stopping into another fantabulous episode of the Take It Easy podcast live as always on the Believe Podcast Network, except it isn't live because it's a podcast. Welcome in, everybody. It is November 22nd, NFL Monday for week 11. We had a hell of a day yesterday, didn't we? Had a lot of fun bouncing around the NFL. Last week, we kind of were trying to figure out who would be the game of the week. Who did we want to talk about first and foremost? This week, there were four different options. I really, really wanted to talk about. So we'll talk about all four of those games and break down about 10 to 12 NFL games from the weekend here on the NFL Monday pod. If you want to hear us laugh at some of the games that don't matter as much, you can tune into Memes of the Weekend, which is available right above this episode on your podcast feed. Game of the week, baby. The Dallas Cowboys and the Kansas City Chiefs. It kind of delivered for like a half of football that was interesting. But other than that, it was pretty much just a race to the finish line for the Chiefs once they had that lead. Kansas City beat Dallas. Kansas City's won four games in a row. I tried to warn y'all. Tried to warn y'all about doubting the Kansas City Chiefs. They were 3-4. and four. They were losing to the New York Giants on Monday. Everyone was getting ready to write off the Chiefs. Some even said the Chiefs were going to struggle to make the playoffs, but no, no, no. The Kansas City Chiefs have powered their way back to becoming the best team in the AFC. And I say this wearing my Patrick Mahomes jersey because, of course, we are Mahomes first and foremost here on this podcast. Maybe not first and foremost, but one of our uh, one of our character traits here is being big fans of number 15 in red. And the Patrick Mahomes hype train continues, even though he didn't throw any touchdowns against the Dallas Cowboys. And even though the defense was the MVP for the Chiefs against the Cowboys and the defense was only the MVP against the Cowboys because they generated a lot of turnovers, which is not sustainable. 
and they happened to play against a Cowboys team that had a very poor game on the offensive line, no Amari Cooper, and no C.D. Lamb. All of that to put the qualifiers in for the Kansas City Chiefs playing good defense was, yeah, you take away both of their wide receivers, they have a bad game on the offensive line, Chris Jones has three and a half sacks, and they get a lot of turnovers. All of that to qualify saying the Chiefs defense is not back, but the Chiefs defense did play very well against the Dallas Cowboys. But yes, the Chiefs are 7-4. and four. Yes, I felt great. I know two weeks ago we came on here and talked for like 30 minutes about the Packers and Chiefs game, and uh, I talked about how I was losing some faith with every passing week in the Chiefs offense. Well, the Chiefs offense in that game did what they had to do to beat the Green Bay Packers, which was not a super effective strategy, especially after seeing this week where Kirk Cousins just absolutely blowtorched the Packers' defense and blowtorched the Packers' secondary. We'll get to that in a little bit, but it just made things worse at that point for the Chiefs, that confidence was waning after seeing it for a half a season, and now I just needed two weeks. Two weeks was all I needed to reframe everything I knew about the Chiefs' offense, because the Chiefs only scored 19 points, but... There are some qualifiers in there the same way with the Chiefs defense because first and foremost, they left like five points on the field with kicking. Just missed kicks by Harrison Butker left a bunch of points on the field. Also, the Kansas City Chiefs early on in the game had a whole lot of drops in that first half. Mahomes started the game 8 for 13 for 89 yards. The longest play was that 40-yarder to Pringle that was just a totally busted coverage by the Cowboys. And so for the most part, they were just doing the check down version of the Chiefs offense because that's the best way to take on the Cowboys. The Cowboys defense, I've been saying all year, is not as good as people think they are. They came into this game ranked 15th defensively in the league after they were obviously ranked in the top five at the start of the year because they were generating a historic amount of turnovers and Trayvon Diggs had like seven picks in six weeks. So they're generating a historic amount of turnovers, and now the defense is coming down to earth from a unit that we thought at the start of the year was going to be bottom third in the entire league. All of this to say, the strength of the Cowboys' defense is in their pass defense, and so the Kansas City Chiefs came into this game similarly to the game plan with the Packers of, we are going to take what you're giving us, which is running the ball with Clyde Edwards-Hilaire, And we're going to take short field passes. We're going to do quick plays to Tyreek Hill and let him try and get yards after catch. We're going to run short routes to Josh Gordon, even though he's going to drop one of the passes. We're going to run quick little four-yard outs to Travis Kelsey. We're going to run short little fades or drags to uh, Mecole Hardman. And all three of those people I mentioned, uh, Gordon, Kelsey, and Hardman, combined for five drops in the game. Three of them in that first half when it was 8 for 13 for the Chiefs. So if you count those as catches, that means that was a 11 for 13 start for Patrick Mahomes with something like 100 or whatever yards. And that's good enough for Kansas City to get by when that's exactly what your defense is playing and when you're playing an offense as depleted as the Dallas Cowboys offense. Because I forgot to mention when we were talking about Amari Cooper and CeeDee Lamb and the offensive line playing poorly, Dak Prescott is also coming off of an injury himself. So Dak Prescott, there were moments where Troy Aikman was pointing out like throws being offline and not in the right places and all of that. But strategic big plays 
seem to be the the game plan for the Kansas City Chiefs now. It's not really a take a shot every quarter or take a shot every half or something. It's very, very strategic. Here is a moment where we can break a coverage. There was one where Travis Kelsey had a 25-yard catch or something like that where they had him and Hill basically run the same route, Hill over the top and Kelsey underneath because it was going to draw Trayvon Diggs for coverage onto Tyreek Hill. And that's a strategic deep route where they they ran a um they ran post routes and then had come back to the sideline and it ended up being 25 for Kelsey and Hill ran the post route up guessing like 35 yards or something like that. It was a very strategic deep route play that the Chiefs took advantage of and everything else was just run the ball, run the ball, screen pass, use the pass like the run and that was pretty much Kansas City's way to get through. Again, they didn't dominate offensively and Kansas City has only dominated offensively a couple times, like we talked about last week. Very poorly, I might add, last week against Las Vegas because it was the game we had to wait for to finish the podcast on. And we gave like four minutes of just, ha ha ha, the Chiefs are back. But it wasn't really any like actual Chiefs analysis. But what was interesting about that was Kansas City strategically implementing big plays this week instead of just taking advantage of a poor Raiders defense. I, I We saw it again today with, against the Bengals. Like The Raiders are not actually that good on defense. The Chiefs kept taking advantage of that and the Cowboys rushing defense, which is really struggling, of course. So Kansas City ends up getting the win this week. Dallas just kind of like fl- trying to like scrape by their way into the uh, Thanksgiving week thing that they do where they play on Thanksgiving Day and then they play on the Thursday after that. I I don't know why they do that every year, but I know why they do the Thanksgiving every year, but they always play the Cowboys the next Thursday after Thanksgiving. So they got like three games in 12 days and Dallas is going to try and get everyone healthy because that division is over at this point. I know the Eagles are like five and six now, which Good job for the Eagles, but the Eagles would probably have to win out to even get within a game of the Dallas Cowboys. So if you're going to sit people, I just sit people going against the Raiders. It's the same place the Arizona Cardinals are in right now where you can sit. We talked about this on Friday with Walter Mitchell. You can sit people because the regular season is now becoming increasingly irrelevant for the Dallas Cowboys. And as we saw today, the thing that's going to be most important is have your offensive line really, really healthy. That's the best way to fix things for the Dallas Cowboys. Get your offensive line healthy and then uh, get Amari Cooper and CeeDee Lamb healthy so that you don't have to stress every single time something happens. And now Amari Cooper's in COVID protocol and Lamb has a concussion. And now Garrett Wilson is your number one receiver. And Dak Prescott is having one of his worst games of his career. So all of that to say, Dallas, I know you got two games coming up real quick here. It's against the Raiders and then it's against the Saints. But if you get through those two weeks, maybe even without your best players, and even if you split it 1-1 and you lose a rough game you maybe didn't like, you're still 8-4. and four. You're going to be fine. Just make sure you get everyone healthy. That's pretty much all I got to say for you, Cowboys. I mentioned the Cardinals earlier. Before we move on here, I just want to dump this game off so we can check it off our list. Um, Cardinals-Seahawks felt like the exact same game as Cowboys and Chiefs, just with less stakes and more Colt McCoy. Felt like both teams were basically just playing the exact same game. It was 16-6. Again, I I watched pretty much the entire Cowboys-Chiefs game, so I'm just scoreboard watching this one. But I see 
Colt McCoy being like 35 for 44, but barely having 300 passing yards, which seems like they game managed their way through that one. They just kind of held the ball a lot too, it seems like, considering the Seahawks only ran, I think this is only 45 offensive plays. Jesus Christ, the Seahawks only ran 45 offensive plays in this game. Colt McCoy had 44 passes. So yeah, it looks like the Cardinals just kind of dominated time of possession, dragged it out of the Seahawks because the Seahawks are not a good team. Maybe maybe we should revisit that podcast we did with Gage Bridgeford about how to retool the Seahawks at this point because uh, this is the season might be officially over for the Seahawks at three and seven. That just might be the nail in the coffin for the Seattle Seahawks this year because you could win out, go to ten and seven, and still not make the playoffs. So. You can put the nail in the coffin for Seattle and let Russell Wilson sit the rest of the year. But it felt like, I mean, just box score watching, this feels like exactly the same game that we watched. If you watch the full Cowboys-Chiefs game, and also to put a finishing touch, not just with less stakes and, and more Colt McCoy, also an absolutely boring second half. And these were the only afternoon games. The afternoon games had so much hype that they put nine games in the morning. And you had Arizona and Seattle like just bore you with runs, runs, little runs here, there. Combined for what, like 10 points in the second half. The Chiefs and the Cowboys, the entire fourth quarter, the game was over. It was just about milking the clock and doing whatever you wanted. Because you knew the Chiefs were the better team. And that's partially just the the Cowboys' injuries. But just boring second halves. I was so bored during the last hour and a half of Red Zone. And it was a great day, too. So I just, I, I mean, we'll talk more about the Bengals and Raiders later. But those two games especially felt like they were doing mirror images of each other. It's just one had actual stakes because it was Cowboys and Chiefs. And it had Joe Buck and Troy Aikman and two of the five best teams in the NFL. And the other one was Cardinals and Seahawks. I've missed getting to play that music. It's not as uh, common as it's been in past years, but the Cleveland Browns, of course, do get to celebrate Victory Monday, even if it's going to feel like a bittersweet Victory Monday, because Baker Mayfield played like shit, and they uh, only won by three in an ugly win against the uh, Tim Boyle-led Detroit Lions, which, by the way, we're not going to talk about this game very much. Maybe we'll revisit it on Memes of the Weekend, but Tim Boyle had 77 passing yards today against the the Cleveland Browns. We were talking about Russell Wilson only having 45 offensive snaps for the Seahawks. The Browns had, I'm sorry, the Lions had 44 offensive snaps today against the Cleveland Browns. And Boyle's 77 passing yards, no touchdowns and two picks, still gives him more passing yards than Jared Goff had in that in that tie they had against the Steelers last week. Jared Goff had 55 passing yards in regulation. Tim Boyle had 77 in a terrible terrible game. The the Browns ended up losing by 3 to the Cleveland Browns, but at least they covered the spread. Um last week Lions and Steelers was the first game we mentioned here. 
Detroit and Cleveland is just a throwaway game that I'm putting in here just to have the transition music of the Cleveland Browns so that we can move to this wonderful tweet that I saw with our friends over at the Dogs of War podcast to, of course, give us that Cleveland Browns music. Quote, if you don't like ugly wins, just ask if the Bills or the Titans would like to trade places with you today. Because I do think both of those teams would love to trade places with the Cleveland Browns for not having lost to the Houston Texans and getting smacked by the Indianapolis Colts in the case of the uh, Buffalo Bills. We'll come to Buffalo in a second. Let's start with the Texans and Titans game, a game that would normally be reserved for a Memes of the Weekend episode. But I actually want to talk seriously about Texans and Titans, even if it's one of these results that we can just chalk up to because football. But in this case, I don't want to chalk up this result to because football. I would like to actually seriously analyze the Tennessee Titans coming out of this game because I was trying to say for two weeks that the Tennessee Titans were not as good as the record suggested. And I said this when Derrick Henry went down and it was a meme that was kind of popular, kind of not, but just something that people gravitated towards was saying that the Titans, by beating the Colts, officially locked in their place as the fourth seed in the AFC to play a wild card game on ESPN that they will lose by 14 points because that is what the AFC South has done for like eight years now. I think the Texans played four consecutive years on ESPN during the wild card weekend. And the Titans were the team locking that in even before Derrick Henry and Julio Jones get hurt. And then we find out they're gone and the Titans win in Los Angeles on Sunday night football against the Rams and win last week against the New Orleans Saints. And in both of those games, the Titans scored 21 and 23 points. We said last week on the the NFL Monday podcast that if Alvin Kamara plays for the New Orleans Saints, the Saints beat the Titans last week. Now, the flip side is if Derrick Henry plays for the Titans, the Titans beat the Saints. The Titans are a better team than the Saints. But that was besides the point of what we were talking about. The point was... If the Saints change one thing, this team that now is kind of falling apart a little bit is better than or is winning this game in an equally matched game against the Titans, which suggests that the Titans without Derrick Henry and without Julio Jones are more likely to reflect the Saints or the Eagles or the Carolina Panthers than they are to reflect the Kansas City Chiefs, Baltimore Ravens, and Buffalo Bills, teams that, as we talked about with Razor Rosenthal on Tuesday, they are projected to be with on the gambling side of the AFC playoff picture. And the Titans really took a dump today against the Houston Texans, but there is some telltale signs around this game for the Titans, which was the offense struggled. The thing I said was going to happen for three weeks and was technically happening because they only scored 21 against the Rams and part of it was on a pick six and because they only scored 23 against the Saints and their defense was carrying the team even though we thought at the start of the year the Titans defense was going to be abjectly terrible. They've actually been much better than anticipated this year. They are the Cincinnati Bengals offense of defenses. The Titans are better than I expected coming into the season. And this week was when everything falls apart on offense 
for the Tennessee Titans, specifically just from having Ryan Tannehill not have the safety blankets he's used to. Again, we talked about last week how Adrian Peterson and uh, the 18-wheeler Deonta Foreman combined like 19 carries for 49 yards. It was like 2.6 yards a carry. Well, let's bring it full circle to this week. If you combine Hilliard, Adrian Peterson, and Deonta Foreman for the Tennessee Titans, they finished with 23 carries for 100 yards, comes out to a just over four-yard average, which is a pretty good game. They had a couple long runs in there. Uh, Peterson and Hilliard and Foreman had runs over 10 yards today. And then you get to Ryan Tannehill, who was throwing the ball to top targets other than A.J. Brown of said Hilliard, the running back, uh, Nick Westbrook, Chester Rogers, and Dre Fitzpatrick, who was, I believe, a fourth-round pick who got cut for them, as well as Anthony Ferkser. Because remember, at the start of the year, the Titans were trying to re- uh, replicate about 1,800 passing yards from Jonu Smith and from Corey Davis. And they tried to bring in Josh Reynolds, and they obviously traded for Julio Jones, and we're going to have Ferkser be the person who kind of fills in the Jonu Smith role to help the offense make up the yards lost last year. And it was working really, really well until all of those players started getting injured, or in the case of Josh Reynolds, Aston was granted his release. I think he now plays for the Lions. But there's just nobody left for the Titans to keep the team afloat. And eventually something like this was going to happen. Did I think it was going to be against the Texans? No, I did not, because the Texans' defense is abjectly putrid. But at the same time, Tennessee Titans are incapable of scoring 30 points in a football game without Derrick Henry and without Julio Jones. I would even argue they're incapable of scoring 30 points in a football game with either Derrick Henry or Julio Jones being out. I think Derrick Henry more so than Julio at this point, but the Titans only putting up 13 points. And by the way, Ryan Tannehill giving the defense a break by having four interceptions. I know sometimes interceptions can be a defensive thing, but overwhelmingly interceptions are a quarterback stat. And Ryan Tannehill giving four interceptions to the Texans helped them supplement their 22-point performance in this game. Because it's not like Tyrod Taylor played well. Tyrod Taylor only had 107 passing yards and finished with a quarterback rating almost as bad as Ryan Tannehill. He was at a 69, nice, quarterback rating. Ryan Tannehill finished with a 58. So it wasn't even like Tyrod Taylor played much better than Ryan Tannehill. It was just that the interceptions and turnovers were the costs for the Titans because they could not score points. And as we've talked about with Tom Brady losing to Washington last week or Aaron Rodgers losing to the Saints or Patrick Mahomes losing to all those teams at the start of the year, including the Titans or the Titans losing to the Jets or the Buffalo Bills losing to the Jaguars or the anyone else who's been through a crazy upset this year and things that people feel like they don't understand in the NFL because it's been an abjectly chaotic year in the NFL. All of that is to say, losing a turnover margin by three is a very easy way for you to end up losing to the Houston Texans, especially when you have no running game and your second best receiver is Chester Rogers. 
So that is kind of where everything falls apart for the Titans. And you lose by having a minus four in the turnover margin. Because I forgot they had five turnovers in the game. Four picks by Tannehill, but five total turnovers because the ball hit Chester Rogers on the back of his ankle when he was fielding a punt that he turned around on and not looking at the ball to try and fake out the defender. It was not a great play at all. So yeah, minus four turnover margin is how you take a team abjectly terrible like the Houston Texans and have them pretty close to dominate the Tennessee Titans. When I remind you again, the the Houston Texans went a full month of NFL football while scoring eight points. They scored eight points in three and a half quarters. I'm sorry, three and a half games of NFL football. They scored five points, zero points, three points, and got blanked in the first half against the Rams. That is eight points in three and a half full football games. That team wins because they get that turnover margin, and I get to be proven right in spectacular fashion that the Tennessee Titans are incapable of scoring points. Even when they were winning, they just got ridiculously lucky that they won those first few games. And this is why when people thought the Chiefs were in jeopardy of missing the playoffs, when people thought the Titans were going to be the number one seed, victims of playing the schedule. Is that the schedule does not matter. Yes, the Chiefs may have a really difficult strength of schedule, but the Kansas City Chiefs are still really, really good. The Titans may have an easy schedule the rest of the way, but they're also not very good. So they're going to lose some of these games because the Tennessee Titans, as we talked about with the Saints comparison earlier, they're about the level of an average NFL team without simply Derrick Henry and by extension Julio Jones as well. You take that away from the Titans, they are essentially what the Bengals are, what the Saints are, what the Chargers are, and what the Broncos are just by taking away Derrick Henry. And so that is why, even with the easy strength of schedule, the Titans were always going to be in jeopardy because they can be beaten on any given Sunday. And I know that's a cliche, but the Titans can't score points. It's the same way the Steelers are, where the Steelers are built entirely on that defense and the Titans are essentially going to the Steelers' model because they just can't generate offense. They are basically doing what the Steelers are, where they just try and stay afloat week to week, but every now and then, your offense is going to play so bad that you tie the Detroit Lions or you lose to the Houston Texans. That is basically where the Titans are at this point. They are the Steelers, they are the Saints, which are offenses totally incapable of scoring 30 points in a football game, and in the case of the Tennessee Titans, a team that is relying more heavily on their defense than they ever have before, all to be about the 13th or 14th best team in the NFL. Now for Buffalo, because Buffalo took a big ol' L at the hands of the Indianapolis Colts today. And for this game, I just wanted to, to go into the rewind machine real quick to take you back to a Colts game in Buffalo last year during the AFC wildcard game. And I went back to my old notes to try and find some stuff out of this game and and tried to find the old podcast where we talked about this. But the Indianapolis Colts with Phillip Rivers and Jonathan Taylor and all those guys that they had on the team, the Colts coulda, shoulda, woulda been up 17-3 to 3 
at halftime against the Buffalo Bills last year in the playoffs. The reason they were not was a twofold reason. One, Rodrigo Blankenship missed two field goals in the first half. And three, they had a fourth and goal that they did not score on. On that drive, they had first and goal at the two and in four plays did not punch the ball in the end zone. And so if they score on those field goals and get that touchdown, you swing the game 13 points in favor of the Indianapolis Colts. If I remember correctly, I believe they were losing at halftime in that game when they should have been up close to like 18 points even, or 14 points. And I felt like the Colts were a really, really good matchup against the Buffalo Bills after watching that game, and then came back this year and felt the Colts roster had changed so much that that wouldn't necessarily apply. And so we come out today and see exactly what ended up happening, which was the Indianapolis Colts taking exact advantage of the same matchups they had against Buffalo. So throwing it back a little bit. So it was 14 to 10 at halftime of that game. You had the missed kicks by Blankenship and the touchdown that ended up being zero points. So if you swing that one, that is 13 points that way. That would make it a, at one point, I guess seven. So that would be a seven point lead plus the next field goal. So a 10 point lead potentially at halftime, or if Buffalo doesn't take that missed. So, but reminder, so this is, again, this is me going back through my head right now. So the Indianapolis Colts get stuffed on fourth down. Josh Allen has a crazy play where he rolls to his right and throws a 50 yard completion to Stefan Diggs. So if they score on that, it changes the nature of the bills drive. Maybe they score, maybe they don't, but say it, that could be seven and the Indianapolis Colts coulda, shoulda, woulda had 24 points. So it could have been a 17-point lead for the Colts under the best of circumstances, 24-7 at halftime against the Bills. They happen to be down 14-10 just by poor execution and poor luck. And once you miss out on those opportunities, Buffalo's just a better team than you last year. So that's how that wildcard matchup goes, which is Colts execute really, really well. They just had four red zone trips and ended up with seven total points. All of that coming back to this game is Colts basically implemented the exact same strategy they did against the Bills in that wildcard game last year and absolutely kicked ass because this time Jonathan Taylor had five touchdowns in that game. They ran off tackle between the Bills defensive line. Bills have not been great at stopping the run after those first few weeks where they beat up on all those inferior opponents. They have like seven edge rushers, which makes them strong against the pass, but now teams aren't passing the ball as much against the Buffalo Bills, and it's a formula that allows, for example, the Jacksonville Jaguars to win with only nine points and allows the Indianapolis Colts to run the ball for over 240 yards to kick ass against the Buffalo Bills. Carson Wentz only threw the ball 20 times for 106 yards because they basically just said, y'all don't have good defensive tackles and we're just going to run between the edges and then run off tackle plays and outside runs and Jonathan Taylor's just going to be better than you and that's how the Colts are going to win the exact same way they were going to win that playoff game last year if they had just executed better in the red zone. And I still feel very strongly that the Colts could have, should have, and would have beaten the Buffalo Bills last year if they just get better luck in the first half of that game with Blankenship missing a kick and getting the ball at first and goal and not getting any points out of it. 
I think they would have had a chance to beat Buffalo in the playoffs last year for one of these wacky wild upsets that happens in the playoffs. And I did not go with it this week. I picked Buffalo to beat the Colts. And now coming back full circle, I'm like, wait a minute. They just did the exact same thing they did against Buffalo in the playoffs last year, except they just scored touchdowns and had a couple big breakaway plays. And also Josh Allen had two turnovers instead of zero turnovers. Like they they generated three turnovers and everything went right instead of last year in the playoffs where everything seemed to go wrong for the Indianapolis Colts. And that explains how the Indianapolis Colts beat the Buffalo Bills by 26 points. Actually kind of straightforward. And I'm hitting myself for not have realizing it earlier, realized it earlier in the week because I probably would have gone with our boy Walter and picked the Indianapolis Colts if I had paid closer attention to my own freaking podcast from last January. Miami has the Dolphins, the greatest football team, and they've won three games in a row, even though their season was over. I believe after the Jaguars game, I think we declared their season to be officially over, and uh, the Jets were never in it in the first place. So yeah, that game exists. That exists as a transition to bring us to our next game here, which is the Green Bay Packers versus the Minnesota Vikings. Let me just say, Aaron Rodgers, best quarterback of the week, and his team didn't even win. Aaron Rodgers, if you want to know the full stat line here, because it is quite remarkable, Aaron Rodgers finished 23 of 33 for 385 yards, four touchdowns, no interceptions, quarterback rating of 148.4, a perfect passer rating is 153 for those keeping track at home. So if he just completes a couple more passes in the game... Aaron Rodgers has like the third perfect passer rating of his career and he didn't even win and the reason he didn't win is because Kirk Cousins played so well to match him 24 for 35 341 yards three touchdowns no interceptions a 128.4 quarterback rating for Kirk Cousins Dalvin Cook had an okay game he had a Titans level of rushing with 22 carries for 86 yards it was fine Justin Jefferson killing it for my fantasy team even though they're going to lose this week still killed it 169 yards this was a really really fun football game and what's funny is that we spent the last two weeks talking about how good the Packers secondary was even saying I think multiple times I think once after the Monday podcast and once during the week, last week, I, th- I can't remember who our conversation was with, but we were talking about the Packers secondary, and the Packers have the best secondary in the NFL, and the Vikings just torched them, just torched them, the way that like rarely even bad secondaries get torched. And it was really, really weird 
because Kirk Cousins won the game by just outplaying a really, really good Aaron Rodgers. And yes, they get bailed out in the end by the interception not being an interception because of penalties. For those who watched the game, you know it was 31-31. The Packers were down actually 31-24, and Aaron Rodgers threw a 75-yard touchdown on the first play to Marquez Valdez-Scantling, and I just started laughing. Like, of course, Aaron Rodgers was going to go into the two-minute drill, but forget the two-minute drill because Aaron Rodgers is already going to score the game-winning touchdown. And Kirk Cousins throws the pick that gets called back that was going to put him in Kirk Cousins' purgatory, potentially, because that was still going into the two-minute warning. So this was going to be the Packers getting a pick on Cousins and getting a field goal, and he'd have like 30 seconds, no timeouts, and we get to give the Kirk Cousins' purgatory award again to Kirk Cousins. But they ended up calling it back. The Vikings go down and win. The result of the game is not necessarily important, Just the fact that the Vikings played at an elite level today, matching wit for wit with the Green Bay Packers. And it's not like the Packers played like their best game. Like I said, their secondary was horrible. Their defense got totally picked apart by Kirk Cousins. But what's interesting is that it says more about the Vikings than it does the Packers. Because we knew the Packers were good before this. We didn't know that Kirk Cousins could play a near-perfect game versus the best secondary in the NFL and that the Vikings would win said game, even though Kirk Cousins tried to give it away at the very end. And that's kind of the big thing for the Vikings, is that they can match wits any given Sunday in those situations, which leads me to think that if they'd had a quarterback better than Kirk Cousins, the Vikings would actually be a legitimate team this year, instead of like one of these teams pretending like they're actually good, but fighting for that seventh wild card. And again, the Vikings have won a playoff game with Kirk Cousins, which doesn't seem like a lot, But winning a playoff game is kind of a big deal in the NFL. The Vikings have done that with Kirk Cousins making all that money in a sport where I believe one year the top 11 highest paid quarterbacks all missed the playoffs in the NFL. It is really weird in a salary cap sport given how much the Vikings are paying Kirk Cousins that they don't have a quarterback better than Kirk Cousins for cheaper When those options have been available in the past, they were going to trade up to get Justin Fields potentially in the draft. They were in a position to really kind of just reset the whole quarterback position when Case Keenum walked away and they brought in Cousins. And the Vikings are a good enough team at times, and that's just enough to make it interesting because we know the Vikings are not actually that good. We've seen it this year. Their defense is playing about average their offense comes and goes the way Kirk Cousins always comes and goes and makes us question all the time whether Kirk Cousins is actually good or actually bad it's Kirk Cousins is a fully formed quarterback at this point in his NFL career and that team is capable of having games like that and month stretches like what Kirk Cousins had in 2019 or part of 2020 or you could even argue the first month of this year they can have that happen This game says more about the Vikings, that they can do that. Even if we didn't learn anything super new about the Vikings, we knew this was in there somewhere. The fact that their offense could do it against that Packers secondary is a victory for them. And I think the Vikings beat the Packers last year in the regular season as well. So it's not like it's even a new phenomena. Like the Vikings have done this before. It's just interesting to see it come out again in this week when all the lines were saying the house was on the Packers. I'm sorry, the house was on. Yeah, the house was betting the Packers. Or no, the house was betting the Vikings because the Packers were minus two and it felt like that was a low line for that game. 
Vikings can play very well. Maybe they'll sneak into the playoffs. Maybe they'll make things interesting. We just got done talking in the last segment about the Colts as the seven seed making things interesting last year. Maybe the Vikings can do that this year, the same way they upset the Saints a few years ago in the playoffs. The other big news out of this game is that Elton Jenkins probably tore his ACL. That's a big L for the Green Bay Packers. The same way the Baltimore Ravens have bad like little win after little win, but Ronnie Stanley being hurt has really messed with them offensively. Baltimore really missed that, uh, really hurt when he went down, with Ronnie Stanley went down each of the last two years. Losing Elton Jenkins might be that level of a loss for the Green Bay Packers if he's indeed out for the season. I think they said he feared he tore his ACL, and that kind of just means they're running tests to confirm it. We don't know by the time this podcast is being recorded, but that's a big loss for the Green Bay Packers. And that swings balances of power in the way that regular season game 11 can swing balances of power, which is just, are you not going to have one of your best players for the games that actually matter. And for the Packers, they just lost maybe their best offensive lineman and one of the best offensive linemen in the NFL that was really helping them improve their running game this year. A running game that also lost Aaron Jones for two to three weeks last week and in the playoffs last year, lost David Bakhtiari and lost Aaron Jones. And it was kind of the reason that the Bucks, who had the same 22 starters for the entire season, ended up beating them in Lambeau. So that is probably one of the biggest revelations to come out of this week in the NFL is Green Bay doesn't have one of their star players probably for the rest of the season. I know we say all the time on the podcast that we love the 70s anthems. I do love my 70s anthems in sports, whether it's the the San Diego Superchargers or the San Francisco Giants one or the Miami Dolphins, Miami Dolphins number one. Do love my anthems, but not the biggest fan of the Fly Eagles Fly one. It's, it's very simplistic doesn't have very much uh, to it other than just saying the victory part. At least with the San Francisco Giants, they had choruses and themes and things like that. There's just not very much to the Eagles one. I think it's very basic. But the Eagles did win this week, so we will play their Fly Eagles Fly anthem as we do with some of the teams here because we need lovely transitions with the wonderful music that I love to play. And the Philadelphia Eagles whooped up on the New Orleans Saints today. I know the score is going to look closer at the end. The Eagles... The Eagles uh, had that they they went into the hit the over defense where they uh, started to allow the Saints to just score a bunch of points at the end of the game, and then Jalen Hurts had another rushing touchdown. By the way, Jalen Hurts, I commend you for doing the best you can because Jalen Hurts has not really been a stud quarterback this year. He's had a couple games over a hundred QBR. This week he wasn't that good because he didn't have any passing touchdowns, but no interceptions either. They basically just didn't let him throw the ball. He ran the ball almost as many times as he passed the ball in this game. 
And that's where Jalen Hurts' like gifts are, is obviously in the running game. It's the same thing where the QBR numbers are misleading with Lamar Jackson. But we talked about this with Stripe Hype. Like Jalen Hurts didn't really have much of an NFL career in his path. And he was put on a team that was basically set up to lose. And now the Philadelphia Eagles are five and six. The Eagles aren't actually good enough to make the playoff, but they're, the fact that they're five and six and actually trying to win this year was different than what I thought it would be at the start of the year. I thought the Eagles were set up to intentionally lose, and they kept a lot of the pieces I thought they would trade at the trading deadline because a lot of them are going to be free agents. And the Eagles have won a bunch of games this year in weird ways. So I commend you, Philadelphia Eagles, for your efforts. I commend you, Jalen Hurts, for doing the best in a bad situation. Had 200 yards of offense and two touchdowns today. So hats off to you. The Eagles scored 40 points, even if the bulk of that came off of Trevor Semyon playing like ass. Straight ass. The numbers get a lot better because of garbage time points and some three and outs for the Eagles because Nicky Backdoors was ready to let the Saints back in and backdoor cover because that's what Nick Sirianni, a.k.a. Nicky Backdoors, does. But Trevor Semyon, before garbage time, I like to, this, these stats are incredible. Trevor Semyon, before garbage time, was 8 for 23 for under 100 passing yards, no touchdowns, two interceptions, and in the fourth quarter when they were down by 26 points, they were down 33-6. to six. In the fourth quarter, Trevor Semyon was 15 for 17 for 140 passing yards, three touchdowns, no interceptions, and finished in just the fourth quarter alone with 20... Okay, Listen to this, 22 points, three touchdown passes, a two-point conversion, 22 points, three touchdowns, and a QBR of 138, which would be better than Kirk Cousins, who I just said maybe had the best game of the day, other than the guy he was playing in the same game as, as Aaron Rodgers. Trevor Simeon just had the most bipolar day possible. And it's weird because he's not, he, it's the system, right? <laughs> this is the Saints system at its finest. It's going to have Mark Ingram come in after he was just cooked with the Houston Texans and he's going to be able to run for close to 100 yards because Sean Payton's a really, really smart offensive coach. It's, it's incredible. It's the Saints system at its finest. They're going to be able to give you 24 points. Sometimes that'll be good enough. Sometimes it won't. Occasionally the defense will have an interception. Didn't have an interception today. Eagles did enough because Trevor Simeon threw a bunch of interceptions, including a pick six. So weird, weird game. Just really weird and a really weird Eagles team and a Saints team that'll probably make the playoffs still. Right? Right? Right?
God damn, that was a stupid game. <laughs> we just finished watching the Chargers and Steelers Sunday night football game, and uh, we're recording this as kind of like the back back end of the podcast. Oh my lord, that was a stupid game. The Pittsburgh Steelers have finally broken their streak after 17 games. 17 regular season football games. The Pittsburgh Steelers have finally scored 30 points in a football game. They did it by scoring 24 points in the fourth quarter against the Chargers, taking a lead, a lead against the Chargers in a game that they were down 30 to 13. No, wait, 30, sorry, not 30 to 13. They were down 34 to 20, as well as being down 34 to 17. And they made the charge to come back against the Chargers, and they almost won. They almost matched their total as a team in the fourth quarter because the Chargers just fell apart. And then Justin Herbert did have the one magical touchdown drive to win the game. But let's just, this is just an amazing game. Just so dumb. So much fun. Big Ben ending up with a fourth and 32 on the last drive of the game. That is territory for Philip Rivers' purgatory. He's not quite going to get it because it wasn't a true Philip Rivers' purgatory this week, but some recognition should be honored for Ben Roethlisberger, not just for preventing not just for preventing the Chargers from an all-time funny statistic that the Pittsburgh Steelers in their franchise history have never been down 17 plus in the fourth quarter and come back to win 15 was the best they've ever done they are 0 and 263 as a franchise when they are down 15 or more points in the fourth quarter And the Pittsburgh Steelers almost won that game until the Chargers finally got their shit together on the last drive just to avoid what would have been just a perfect Chargers upset. We haven't had the Chargers upset in a while. The Chargers are just kind of sad and disappointing more than they get upset, but the Chargers have won a lot of games this year. They've got a really fun quarterback. Of course, the Chargers don't look like the Chargers were used to, which is the kicker's going to blow the game for them, and they're going to find magical ways to blow leads and then have heartbreaking finishes like Melvin Gordon fumbling at the one-yard line against the Titans. This is a different Chargers team, just like the Falcons team feels different. We don't really have the Falcons chaos games, just like we don't have the Chargers blown lead games, but we had one of them today. And just like the Falcons had a blown lead where they uh, were against the Saints and then led a game-winning drive at the end, Justin Herbert did the same to avoid the outcome that would make the internet mock them for days But it was just a magical game, and the Steelers were just not good enough because the Steelers are not good enough. But they did look better with Ben Roethlisberger than Mason Rudolph, and ultimately, that's all that matters for a Steelers team that none of the games they play make any sense in the world. And at the same time, the Pittsburgh Steelers also have never been a good team this year. Not once were the Steelers good. They were in the playoffs before losing to the Chargers because they were 5-3-1. We know the Steelers are not good but the Steelers just play dumb games that make us rethink everything we thought we knew about them every week when they're just not a good football team. Speaking of not good football teams, to close out this magical NFL Monday podcast, the Las Vegas Raiders kind of combusted a little bit. Remember when they were 5-2? and two? Remember that magical time when the Raiders were 5-2 and two and then they lost to the Giants at MetLife? Lost to the Chiefs on Sunday Night Football and then just got pounded by the Cincinnati Bengals today? Ah, I again. I, last week I picked the Chiefs on principle that the Raiders were not good. This week I picked them 
in our pick'em pool because I was hedging my bet of the Bengals in the Slump Buster League. I said this one was a coin toss game, and the Bengals outplayed the Raiders. So as a measuring stick game, we know the Bengals are still fighting for that playoff spot. We know the Raiders are headed towards that 7-8 win territory that they have been in, except for two years with John Gruden, for pretty much the last 12 years. Sad finish to that. Joe Mixon kicked ass today. I will give Joe Mixon a lot of credit there, but... Yeah, it's it's been a long it's been a long time coming for the Raiders. The Raiders are not allowed to be good, and now they will fall from grace just as the Pittsburgh Steelers will also do inevitably over the next few weeks. And that's our NFL Monday podcast, people. Thank you for stopping in as always. Uh, you can follow us here on Take It Easy and over at Comical Sports and the Red Rain Podcast and the Slump Buster and all the other stuff that we do here on the podcast. You can check us out on Instagram, uh, at Comical Sports Memes, and at Take It Easy Podcast. The Linktree link is in the description to today's episode to support all the stuff we do. If you're here at the podcast for the first time, download, leave a five-star review. doesn't have to be a nice review. just has to be a five-star review. And that is it for today. If you have not listened to the Memes of the Weekend podcast, check that out right now. If you have listened to Memes of the Weekend before this, check out Wired Up from Sunday. The best way to listen to that is to just not touch your phone right now and let the podcast keep on rolling to the next episode. Take it easy, everybody.